All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary. It's time for the podcaster who uh, we can't think of, Sometimes I just can't think of anything witty to say, patrons, and you allow me that freedom to do so. Because uh, it's time for Sleep With Me, the podcast you empower to put you to sleep. But what do you say we get on with the show? Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing? Trouble getting to sleep, trouble uh, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Uh, or any other things? Or uh, early, early stuff, early, uh, you know, pre-dawn awakenings? I don't know what else to call it. That's what I'm dealing with, by the way. Uh, but I have a story hope on it, though. So, so uh, whatever's keeping you awake, uh, or yeah, whatever's got you awake. Uh, now I got mixed up because I improved that part. Uh, whatever, ladies, young boys, friends beyond the binary, time for sleeping. Podcast, we, 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 we up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting asleep, trouble staying asleep. Well, welcome. This is Sleep with Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it's a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. Also, sometimes we do a rehearsal right in the middle of the beginning of the episode. What I'm going to do, I'm going to do the rest. <laughs> Still not perfect. That's, I mean, I, I like to lead by example. Uh, that would be on, that will be somewhere. As you, could, you could hold me to that. You say, well, there's, here, you know, here sleeps scoots. Uh, Still not perfect. Uh, you know, except for, anyway, we probably move on. So do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get him. I'll do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake. It could be thoughts you're thinking about, you know, things on your mind. So thoughts, it could be feelings coming up uh, about the past, present, or future, or just generalized feelings. You say, where did these come from? That does happen to me, particularly in the, more so in the morning, unrelated to dreams that I remembered. Sometimes I wake up and I say, where, well, where are these? Because I do, sometimes I try to do some journaling. And they say, I mean, I have my own feelings about journaling, too. Feelings about journaling, a journal about feelings about journaling, and a and maybe it'll be like script notes too. Uh, what was they saying though? Oh, uh, but just see where do these feelings come from? So it could be uh, thoughts, feelings, physical sensations that you're having or experiencing, changes in routine, whatever's going on. I'm here to uh, keep you company and take your mind off of stuff. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night in an attempt to take your mind off stuff and establish uh, a safe place. Uh, I'm going to use lulling, soothing. Eventually they'll be soothing. Creaky, dulcet tones. You say, oh, so creaky are those dulcet. They're more creaky than dulcet, but there is an underlying dulcetness to them. I wonder if dulcetness, is that a correct usage of like a, like a construction of a word? Dulcetness. I don't know, but like, I mean, <laughs> my brain said, I don't know. And I said, okay, I'll say that then so the listeners know. And they say, obviously you don't know, Scoots. They say, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Like, uh, Poe Buddy's Nerfic or whatever. Mine will just say, still not perfect. Uh, okay, so 
Oh, semi-creaky dulcetones, pointless meanders, superfluous tangents. Holy cow, we've had a few. I'm going to go off topic. I'm going to get mixed up, and I'm going to take my time getting there. All to take your mind off stuff while you fall asleep. So a few things to know if you're new. One, this podcast does not work for everybody. But for a 90-odd percent of listeners, it took two or three tries to get used to it. You could just look at our reviews anywhere. It says, well, it took two or three tries, and then I realized the podcast uh, is, uh, made no sense, and that's why I love it. Or Scoots was, you know, rarely get—he he tries to get to a point, and he kind of barely gets there. So give it two or three tries if you wish. So the, and the only reason I tell you that up front is because if you're skeptical or doubtful, that's totally normal. I mean, how many of us uh, that are listening right now have been said, oh, this will totally work to put you to sleep? And maybe it did one or two nights. Uh, and then after that, it didn't quite work, right? And you say, or it just never worked. You see, this person says, that's what works for me. You see, what is it? Well, I pour a saucer of warm milk. You say, okay, warm milk. I heard that. No, no, no. I don't drink the warm milk. Uh, I dip my elbows in the warm milk. Okay, I'm sorry. What? Uh, you're my boss, right? Yep. Just telling you, that's what works for me for every night. Uh, that You know, old grandmama, uh, she taught, taught me that. Uh, an elbow it dipped in milk. Uh, and sleep is so, smooth, smooth as, you know, soothes like, you know, sleep is smooth as silk, she said. She, she was like you, Scoot. She had trouble with some of those words. And I say, okay, let me just walk, walk through this. Uh, first of all, uh, what's a saucer? Because I'm not, I mean, I've seen them in cartoons, like, uh, but I don't know if I own any saucers. It's, it's like a, somewhere between a plate and a bowl, like a side plate that's like a bowl, right? Uh, it's a saucer, Scoots. Okay. Uh, so, okay, let's move on. Then. And so you warm the milk, uh, obviously just to, like uh, to somewhere beyond lukewarm, but not too warm? Exactly. To a comforting temperature. And I guess that would be everybody would figure that out on their own, like you say, because everybody has their different way of warming milk. Correct, Scoots, uh, and then you dip your elbow, like, so you just dip them in there. You don't, no, I guess it's a saucer, so you can't plunge your elbow into the milk. Correct, I just dip it. And do you, you don't soak your elbow? Like, what's the difference, like a dip is like, a, how long, what's the difference between a dip and a soak? Well, that's a great question. Uh, like, uh, why don't you sit down we'll talk about this a little more. Well, yeah, I got a, I'm in the middle of a podcast intro. I was just talking to the new listeners because that's the point where I lose them. And they st- like where some people might already be like, what did I get myself into? Okay, well, that's what you might be asking yourself that when you dip your elbows in milk anyway. You say, okay, well, I was just going to do you. This was supposed to be just a quick metaphor. Okay, well, I'll tell you a quick. It, a dip is quick, like a quick metaphor, but you don't have to be like a soak is long. So it could be, you know, so it depends on my mood. Like, I try not to rush it, so I don't do a quick dip. Uh, and uh, you could do this in any milk, right? Because some people might not want to use dairy milk uh, to dip their elbows in. 
Oh boy, what a world we live in. So many options. You're right. And I have used, I do use many kinds of milk. Uh, right. Just not exclusively dairy milk. Correct. You know, I tried oat milk for the first time. I, I realize that's a popular thing. Right. Rice milk, oat milk, almond milk, whatever, whatever, any, any milk. Uh, uh, but it has to be, it has to be labeled milk in your opinion. Yes, just, you know, it is part of a, it is a combination. It's not just, it's the act of dipping the milk. It's the fact that it's milk. Uh, yeah, so it is all connected. It may, you know, it might, it's part physical and part mental and part, uh, for me, connection to my grandmama. So part spiritual for me. And that works for you. You dip in your... I mean, it could be. It could be a placebo. I don't know, but it works for me, and I highly recommend dipping your elbows in milk. Okay, thanks so much. That was my that was some imaginary boss of mine, not my recommendation. But we've heard those before, right? Maybe not in such a long, drawn-out drawn out way at the beginning of a sleep podcast, but you say, I mean, that's a conversation we've all had. And so you say, okay, wow, you dip your elbows in milk. Works like a charm. That's what usually they say. It works every time. Uh, it's going to change your sleep habits. And you say, okay. And the first time you do it, you may feel a little, I mean, especially this one, you feel a little bit ridiculous. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? My elbows are covered in milk. Uh, he never said to wipe it off or not. You say, okay, oh, of course, I wipe it off with a warm washcloth. You say, okay, great, that makes sense too. And then some of you, might, then you say, well, if it's a nice ritual or part of a routine, it might be nice. Uh, but then you say, well, it doesn't work for me exactly the way I imagined it would. Or you say, well, it's just not for me. I don't know, I'd rather have a nice cup of tea or something than dip my elbows in milk. And, I mean, I'm being honest. That's what I'm like. I said, go out and sit outside and have some tea and do some light reading. So it's different for everybody. And th- But this, my point was that this podcast is very different. So if you're just doubtful or skeptical, that makes total sense because this is a strange and uh, different show. So just kind of give it a few tries. The other piece of advice I usually give, and this is over seven years of doing this, is that uh, when at first you try to consume the podcast loosely or maybe on your second or third try, like uh, this is a man who has a conversation with himself about dipping his elbows in milk. I mean, I think if you say that to yourself, you'll realize the kind of attention you really need to give me, which would be out of focus of fuzzy attention. And if you consume the podcast in kind of that loose uh, way, like sand in your hand uh, or elbow, you see, after you dip your elbows in it, technically it is elbow milk, I would say. And I'd say, holy cow, what are you going to, like, let's just move on. But that is elbow milk. uh, And and then maybe that causes something at home. You say, dear, if this is the last time I'm going to deal with your elbow milk in the morning... Can you imagine being their next-door neighbor? You have no idea about any of this elbow-dipping, elbow-milk-dipping ritual that this person does. And normally try not to listen in next door. But this last time you hear the partner say, if I have to dip my elbows in milk, dip my elbows, if you, you know, clean up your elbow milk one last time, that's it. Uh, You'd say, holy mackerel, we got to move. Or... 
I got to start listening into these people more often. Or I got to invite myself over there. So those are interesting. I mean, those are things to think about, I guess. Uh, what was my point? Oh, just consume this podcast loosely. Only took 12 minutes to get to that point. Um, the second thing is this podcast really isn't here to put you to sleep. It's here to keep you company while you fall asleep. So there's no pressure. That's why the episodes are an hour. It's to give you plenty of time to get, to get comfortable and drift off. And then if you can't sleep, I'm going to be here for you to the very end. Uh, the other things that throw people off is the structure of the show. So the show starts off with a greeting, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond the binary. Then there's business. That's what keeps the podcast going. Then there's the intro, which is like 12 to 20 minutes long, uh, where I try to explain what the podcast is, and then I go off topic, and then I try to come back uh, to be an on-topic and then there's the episode, and in the episode tonight, it'll be a crossover uh, visit, walking tour of Rome, and my memories of Rome. Uh, so it's a it's a crossover with the podcast, the Bittersweet Life, and I'll have links to the original episode, and I'll talk. You've probably heard me talk about it at the top of the show too. So, uh, and then there'll be some thank yous at the end. So there'll be all meandering to keep you company and help you fall asleep. Uh, the, also the intro can throw people off cause it's 12 to 20 minutes, but the whole idea is it's as part of your bedtime routine as opposed to elbow milk. You, 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 you know, you say, okay, I'm going to start my tea. I'm going to start the podcast. I'm going to steep my tea. It, that's what most regular listeners just start to do, uh, is kind of build a routine, including the podcast, either before they get in bed or once they're in bed, getting comfortable. Though 2% of listeners start to show at about 20 minutes uh, to skip ahead. So those are most of the things you need to know. I mean, the, the last thing you need to know is, one, uh, you deserve a good night's sleep. And that's why I really make the show, is because I want you to get the rest you need and deserve and that your world will be a better place, our world will be a better place if you get that. And the other side of it is because they've been there, tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep, uh, all those things I deal with. And I do want to say hope, I said at the beginning, because it's like uh, I have been waking up pretty early a lot of times and then trying to figure out what to do about that. And I guess part of it is like having something like this podcast or something else to, to change change the narrative. Uh, and for me, I said, okay, I do have to start changing the narrative and doing something else. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go back to reading some Robert Ludlum. And I did that last night, and it was one of those in-between hours where it was just too early to get up, and then I was awake. Uh, so I read for an hour, and then I fell back asleep for a few hours, and it was great. Uh, so I hope the podcast can provide something like that for you uh, that makes it less lonely and, and less of a rigmarole. We say, okay, well, at least this is a little bit different. So that's it. That's why I make the show and kind of see how it goes. Like I said, it doesn't work for everybody, but I really hope it works for you. I work hard. I yearn and I strive. And I really want to help you fall asleep. Thanks so much for coming by. And here's a couple of ways we're able to bring in this podcast twice a week. All right, everybody, this is the Scoots. We're taking a little bit of a virtual journey, kind of a virtual two-step journey tonight, because this is a crossover episode with the Bittersweet Life podcast. 
which you can find at thebittersweetlife.net or in your podcast app of choice. Just type in the search uh, The Bittersweet Life. And I'm really looking forward to this episode. But first, I wanted to tell you about The Bittersweet Life. Uh, and I'm just going to use their about page. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful show made by two wonderful people. And The Bittersweet Life began over five years ago in Rome, where we're going to go tonight, uh, when two childhood friends from Seattle reconnected in Italy and decided to explore the highs and the lows of being an expat. But the show has grown into something larger than that, an examination of life uh, where they talk about it. It's just a really, really powerful podcast. Uh, inspiring a worldwide community of seekers uh, to consider a less-than-ordinary path for themselves. Uh, the hosts have two very different perspectives on the bitter dolce vita. Uh, my friend and host uh, Katie Sewell uh, lived for a year a year in Rome. Uh, wasn't easy. Uh, and decided to leave a successful public radio career uh, to, to move abroad. And since then, she's moved back to Seattle and uh, kind of try, like, uh, kind of like you know, getting used to going back, being expat, then being a repat. Uh, I don't know if that's what you call it, repatriation, and trying to make uh, make sense of all that. And then Tiffany Parks uh, moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay and make it work no matter what. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate to this, whether you, you've lived abroad or you've thought about living abroad or you're just a person uh, because uh, she's overcome loneliness, joblessness, uh, uh, trying to figure out uh, becoming an Italian citizen, motherhood. And Tiffany also regularly shares her deep knowledge of Roman history and art. Uh, so uh, just like this episode, you could get, you're going to get a few uh, trips uh, to Rome in here. They also interview world-class authors and thinkers, uh, artists, uh, journalists. So just go through their feed. Uh, you're going to be there's just so much uh, variety, all connected by this kind of experience of, of seeking and curiosity. Uh, new episodes are released uh, every Monday, focused on a specific theme. And then on Thursdays, they've been putting out a mini episode that kind of takes you out on Rome or the streets of Seattle. Uh, the conversations are always uh, candid and funny, not crafted. They're just uh, two friends talking. So whether you're, like I said, whether you're living overseas or not, you never have, you're just wondering about it, or you just, you know, like the experience, uh, uh, subscribe to the show. You could start all the way at the beginning, or you could start at the current episodes and the beginning. You could binge the show. Uh, Katie Sewell is a radio producer and host. Uh, when she moved to Rome, it was 11, after 11 years working at KUOW Public Radio, NPR C Seattle. Uh, where she was a senior producer and uh, host on uh, weekday. Uh, she's interned at Radio Lab, toured with Prairie Home Companion, did a series called The Radio Retrospective about radio's golden age, which you probably heard on your local radio station. Uh, she's also a writer, a podcast consultant, and still working in public radio. You may hear her on the radio uh, soon. 
if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you may have even heard her on the radio recently. Tiffany Parks is a writer. She heads the uh, editorial department at Where Rome Magazine. The Eternal City is her muse. She just published an art mystery for young readers set in Rome called Midnight in the Piazza. And in her spare time, she shares her passion for Rome's history and art with tourists and private walking tours. Uh, if you're interested, you could go to thebittersweetlife.net to find out more about Katie or Tiffany. You can also check out Tiffany's blog, The Pines of Rome. So without further ado, we're going to join the Bittersweet Life. But you should really also listen to the virtual walking tour of Rome in their feed because it'll have the sound effects and the sound design that I'm not able to provide in a sleep podcast. And then if I have time at the end, I'll kind of uh, muse on my thoughts about uh, my one visit to Rome, a wonderful visit. But this visit was really made me uh, thirst for Rome. Uh, so the episode does start off with uh, some really nice sound effects, so I really think you should listen. There's bells, there's birds, and there's the city sounds of Rome. And then uh, Katie says, hey, welcome to Rome. This is A Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Uh, I'm Katie, and hey, I'm, I'm, I'm also speaking for Tiffany. I'm Tiffany here. Yeah, and I'm Katie. I'm in Seattle. Tiffany is currently in her apartment on the outskirts of Rome, but today we're going on a journey. We're going to go on a virtual walking tour of Rome. That's right, Katie. We're going to go. Uh, we've both been thinking about this a lot, doing this uh, over this past uh, few months, uh, which is to explore Rome because we can't do it together right now. That's right, Tiffany. So through the magic of radio, we're going to go on a journey together through the streets of Rome. And Tiffany, I was thinking, since we're creating this journey as if it just has sprung from the well of your historical knowledge and my mixing of sound effects, we could set it at any time you want. Uh, for instance, we could set it at Christmas time with the beautiful music and sounds of Rome and the holidays. Yeah, Katie, uh, Christmas time is a magical time to be in Rome, but I think we should set it right now, uh, or just a few months ago in April. Because April is such a beautiful time to be in Rome, particularly because of the wisteria, one of the most, which is one of the most beautiful flowers you could see around Rome, and they always bloom in April. Oh boy, I could smell that wisteria. That is nice. All right, Tiffany, so should we start in the subway tunnel with the sounds of the subway, maybe a busker in the background? No, 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 no. Let's start right in the center of it all. Let's start at the Pantheon. So here we are right outside the Pantheon. Light crowds, a beautiful day. There's nothing... Really nothing like seeing the Pantheon, especially when you see it for the first time. Whenever I take people on a tour, I always walk around the corner down a side street and approach the Pantheon from a sort of blind angle so it just looms in front of you because it's really quite big. As you can see, Katie, there it is right in front of you. 
And as a note from Scoots, I, I do remember when I saw the Pantheon. This was it was one of it is one of those experiences, uh, uh, just like they're talking about. I couldn't believe it either. Uh, relatively, there it is, looming above us, above the square we're standing in, which is relatively small compared to this enormous towering monument. And, of course, the Pantheon, as many people know, is the best-preserved ancient monument in the world. It was completed in 126 A.D. Wow. So we're really coming up on 1,900 years. Of course, there were other versions of the Pantheon, at least two that sat at the same spot, uh, but they uh, went to the big, the big Pantheon, cloud, big monuments in the sky. In fact, uh, Katie, could you read that uh, inscription there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It reads, M. Agrippa, L.C. Cos Tertertum Fice, 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 uh, which basically, Katie, or Tiffany can actually pronounce things better, much better than Scoots, but it means Marcus Agrippa, the son of Lucius, during his third time as council, he made this. Of course, Mar- Marcus Agrippa was not uh, present in 126. When this was built, he built the first pantheon back in the time of Augustus, around 17 B.C. It was Emperor, Emperor Hadrian who built this version, the permanent version of the pantheon, but he decided to maintain Agrippa's inscription out of respect and to honor him. Well, it's a church now, Katie, but what was it originally? Yeah, well, originally the word pantheon, in fact, means a temple to all gods. So it was a temple to multiple gods, and it's unusual because it's completely round, of course. But you know what? Let's step inside. Now, these doors right here in front of you, these are the original bronze doors of the pantheon. And it's great because you could sort of just reach out and touch them as you walk in and feel the history within them. And then we could stop and look up at the Oculus. This is what people really love about the Pantheon. I mean, just look at the ceiling, the dome and the ceiling all together. I mean, the ceiling is coffered, and it's made of concrete, which is one of the great Roman inventions. And the coffered ceiling is so iconic that it's been copied so many times in so many places. Most famously, for those of you in the U.S., uh, it's used in the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., which has a copy of the ceiling of the Pantheon. But, of course, here, the oculus is open, the central hole. I mean, it's just a big open hole, and the light shines down. And you could see, and I don't know if you could tell, but right now, not only is it shining down, it's shining straight out of the front doors. And that's because the day we're taping this is actually, I don't know if you knew this, Katie, but the day we're taping this, just a few days before we put this episode out originally, was April 21st. April 21st is Rome's birthday. Did you know that? I did, Tiffany. 2,773 years old. 
You got it. Uh, wow. Exactly right, Katie. You really know your, your Roman. You really know your Roman history. Uh, and the interesting thing is, if you go to the Pantheon on this date, which I always try to do, and you get to be here with us, uh, yeah, right here now. Seeing the sun shine down through the Oculus and straight out the doors on this particular day, as long as you go in the middle of the day, just like you're with us right here, right now. So, Tiffany, uh, is is that why the birthday is this day, or is it just a coincidence? Uh, You know what, Katie? Uh, Some people do think that they designed the Pantheon in such a way that that would happen on the birthday of the city. Wow, that's amazing. Totally, I know, isn't it? It really is one of the most incredible buildings. In fact, if you only had 15 minutes to spend in Rome, that would be the one building I would encourage everyone to see. Katie, I totally agree. Very, very true. It's just as beautiful from the outside as from the inside. I mean, I feel like it's one of those places, uh, do go in if you can. But even if you can't go in, it's something. It's worth it just to see it from the outside. Just because when you see something so old, so perfectly maintained. uh, Another thing is, as you mentioned, it's a church now. And that's why one of the reasons why it's in such great condition. uh, Is because it was converted to a church in the darkest of the dark ages. I think in 609 A.D. Uh, This was a time when the temples were being uh, dismantled for their materials in Rome. And so, because it was a church at that time, it was sort of off-limits and maintained. I mean, I could go on about this for the whole length of our tour, just talking about the Pantheon, but we don't have time for that. Uh, But I will say, as you watch the light come out and you look at the open doors and the oculus, if you look to the left, you can see through a plate of glass... Raphael's uh, place of rest, uh, and Raphael, of course, uh, went to the big, big, you know, big, big, uh, big, you know, about five hundred years ago. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, one of the things I also love about the Patreon, one of the things I also love about the Pantheon, uh, Tiffany is that uh, anybody who's been there or anyone who's planning to or all of you with us right now or you that's with us right now. So many artists, so many architects, so many thinkers and notable people all around the world have stood in front of this building and been inspired by it. And it really does feel to me like it has one, it's one of those links back through time for everyone. How many of us have stood in front of that building and been inspired in some way? It's got to be countless numbers of people. Uh, That's true, Katie. uh, Well, I feel like uh, we should get moving before I get too moved, if you know what I mean. Now, uh, I hear you, Katie. How about some refreshment? Should we stop uh, for a cafe espresso? Uh, that would be great. Well, you can co- coincidentally, as luck would have it, one of Rome's very best cafes is just around the corner. Let's go see if it's open. 
Okay, the, yeah, this is. It's Cafe San Estacio in the piazza of the same name. I mean, of course, you know, some super niche coffee fans will have their own favorites, but I would say that the majority of Romans consider this cafe or Taza de Oro to have the best coffee in Rome. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker or a coffee expert myself, so I can't make that judgment. Uh, I can tell you just what most people say. I do think the smell and the sound effects, uh, Katie, that you're adding of this place, it feels like we're really there. And when you walk inside, there's the smell of coffee. It's pretty incredible. You can see everyone standing up at the counter. I mean, there's some tables outside for the tourists, but the Italians who come here, it's a lot of business people who come here during the day and their coffee break. The parliament is just around the corner, so sometimes you'll see famous Italian politicians in here. They always stand up at the bar to get coffee. And as you can see and even hear, it's packed. Uh, you really, it's not easy to get to the front of the line. You kind of got to work your way up there. But despite its fame, the coffee is still well-priced and the espresso is about a euro. So they haven't take adva- taken advantage of their fame. Thanks, Tiffany. As a tourist here, standing at the edge of this cafe, I kind of wonder what the etiquette is. Should I just barge in, or should I let it be a local place? Well, Katie, you could let it be a local place. It has become a bit touristy, but people who go there, you know, they expect to encounter tourists, so they're prepared. Just make sure you pay first, uh, because many people, so many people come in. They prefer you pay it to cash, register on the right, and then take your receipt up to the bar. And obviously work your way to the front, but wait your turn. Uh, But people in Italy, they don't really make organized lines. So just kind of look around, see who was there before you. And when you feel like those people have been served, put your arm forward to get your coffee. If I get Tiffany, if I want to be legit, do I have to stand at the bar? Uh, not necessarily. Sometimes you just want to sit down and have your coffee, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm a tea drinker, uh, so of course I prefer sitting down, but you can't really have a pot of tea standing at the bar of a cafe. It's the worst. And it's not easy as a tea drinker when my husband and I go to the cafe together because he gets an espresso or a cappuccino and I get a pot of tea. Uh, like uh, this uh, little tiny uh, pot, pot, pot of tea, like a cup and a half. But they always, without fail, they make my husband's coffee before they make the tea. And I'm like, don't you understand that the tea has to steep for a couple minutes uh, while he's just going to down his in like one or two sips? So they make his coffee, they set it down, he downs his coffee. Meanwhile, they're making the tea. And, uh, you know, I have to sit there for five minutes while it steeps. So, uh, you know, you don't drink a tea quickly. It's a process. It's slow. So uh, normally I just get water now. Well, Tiffany, I guess that's one way you're at odds with this country. Let's move on to a place where you're not at odds, a place that's extremely beautiful. And another one of the top hits. Okay, I guess you mean Piazza Navona. Yeah, it's just around the corner. Piazza Navona. Wow, Tiffany.
Yeah, I know. You've been here before, Katie, but every time we come here, you can't help but be a little bit blown away by it. Even myself, after living here for 15 years, whenever I walk into Piazza Navona, I always take a minute to look around because it's such a, a spectacle. It's spectacular. It really is, Tiffany. It's, it's a person who doesn't take as many photos and who always wants to tape things all the time. I do. It doesn't really, uh, like with the magic of, let's put a little bit of, I do have some sounds of Piazza Navona at night. So can we pretend, even though it's the middle of the day, that the sun's setting and I'll play the sounds of the Piazza at night? Okay, listen to the chattering and the bustle. And now the sun is back up again. Uh, Katie, I was just curious. Why did why did it have to be at night? Could we have just like uh, could we have pretended it was a daytime clip? I don't I don't know, Tiffany. It just just for me, it felt like it was at night. Uh, but you know, any any of the listeners could let us know. Well, now it's day again. That was a fast night. And Katie, look, it's noon on the dot uh, because we can hear the bells of. St. Agnes de Agone. Uh, now, it's kind of hard uh, to know where to look when you're first in this piazza because there's so much going on, so many beautiful things. Probably what's going to get your attention the most is the Central Fountain by Bernini. Gian Lorenzo Bernini, the famous sculptor, sculptor and architect. Uh, and there's a great story behind this fountain because the Pope at the time was Pope Innocent X. And Innocent X came on the heels of Pope Urban VIII. Uh, and Urban uh, had been not only Bernini's patron and champion, but a close friend of his. So he had gotten all the amazing projects and commissions throughout uh, Urban VIII's uh, papacy. Uh, and he was just a favorite throughout the whole city. So when Innocent took over, you know, he was a rival of the previous pope. So he didn't want to work with anyone the pope had worked with. So Bernini was suddenly out of fashion. Instead, he was working with a couple different art architects, uh, including uh, Francesco Borromini, who's one of my favorite architects, a great rival of Bernini. So suddenly Borromini gets to shine. And in fact, the central church you could see right here, the towering, gorgeous Baroque church is by Francesco Borromini. It's called uh, St. Agnes de Agone, but Pope Innocent decided he wanted to build a monumental fountain in this square, particularly because where he is where he lived. You could see this pa that palace uh, right over there, the big white palace with the Brazilian flag in front of it. That was Pope Innocent X's palace. So he wanted this square to be the most beautiful one in the city because that was where he lived. So he's having the church built, but he also wants to build this beautiful fountain. And now he's sent out not exactly commissions, but notices to the great artists of the time to submit their ideas and designs for the new fountain. And then he would select the one he preferred. Uh, he, on purpose, did not invite Bernini to submit his ideas, but there was a family member of his who knew what was going on who loved Bernini's work. So he convinced Bernini to make a model of the fountain anyway, and they put it in the palace in a place where the Pope would not be able to miss it. Uh, so when Pope Innocent saw the model of what Bernini had projected for the fountain, 
he was completely gobsmacked by it, and he fell in love. And he was quoted by a contemporary historian as saying, He who desires not to use Bernini's designs must take care not to see them. Uh, they were so beautiful and so incredible, he could not resist using the artist uh, that he did not want to work with, so, so he did it anyway. And Bernini designed the fountains, uh, fountain of the four rivers with four enormous river gods. We have the god of the Nile, the god of the Ganges, the god of the Rio de Plata, and the god of the Danube, all decorated with different flora and fauna objects from their parts of the world. Uh, because each represent the four corners of the globe. And, of course, the obelisk in the center, which is the ancient Roman obelisk brought from Egypt. Wasn't there a rumor that all the gods are looking away from the church? Well, there's one god. Uh, thanks, Katie. For the, Rio, the god of the Rio de Plata, a, 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 a river per, personification, who's looking towards the church with his hand cowering. But, yeah, people say they were working on these projects, uh, the rivals Bernini and Borromini, at the same time, and Bernini was trying to uh, poke some fun at Borromini. Uh, so he pretended the figure was kind of cowering at the church uh, or wondering you know, if the church was structurally sound. But the truth of the matter is the fountain was made in 1651, and the church didn't even start construction until 1652. And Borromini wasn't named head architect until 1653. So that's a highly, highly unlikely story. I do love stories like that, uh, though they're not true. I do like them. That's one I can debunk. The reason the square has such an unusual shape, it's a long oval shape. It's curved on the north end and flat on the south end is because the site was once an ancient stadium for Olympic-style track and field. There would have been stone columns all the way around and arches, and there would have been seating, stone seating, similar to what they had at Circus Maximus. This is like a miniature version of Circus Maximus, uh, just a smaller, but over the years in the Middle Ages, uh, much of the marble was taken out, taken out and people used their homes to build it with it. And that's one of my favorite things about Rome is how you could see the passage of time in one building or one site. Uh, you could see what it looked like in ancient times, even though instead of seeing a racetrack, you're seeing the facades of homes you could still see the shape of the racetrack. And that's one of the things I love about Rome. You're right, Tiffany. It's amazing. Okay, so let's go down this side street to probably one of the loveliest churches on Rome, uh, especially from the outside. Yeah, maybe we should uh, think about uh, humming as we walk. Uh, but this is, yeah, this is the uh, Via della Pace, the end of the street. Well, I don't have to tell you, Katie, what's in front of you. It's an amazing church, Tiffany, but I've never been able to get into it, to be honest. Yeah, this is a Santa Maria della Pace. This church used to be only open on Saturday mornings. Then they changed it to be open on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. But every time I've gone here recently, uh, you know, before a lot of the changes, it was always uh, open. So I don't know if they expanded the hours, uh, which would be great. 
Uh, there are some frescoes in here that were painted by Raphael in uh, 1514, the Sibyls. And the most interesting thing about them is how uh, similar they are to Michelangelo's Sibyls in the Sistine Chapel, which would have been completed just two years earlier. What I really love about the church is the facade. It's not as old as the church itself. The church was built in the 1400s, but the facade is from the 1660s. It was designed by Pietro de Cortona, another great Baroque architect, a contemporary of Bernini and Borromini. And I just love it because it has this semicircular porch, I guess you'd call it, with these beautiful columns in front. And what I love about the columns is instead of making them perfectly symmetrical as they go across the semicircle, he moved the two on the right closer to each other and the two on the left closer to each other. So it creates this unexpected element, which is really what the Baroque is all about. Unexpected, theatrical, bizarre elements that make something even more beautiful. I don't know if you know this, but the origin of the word Baroque, it comes from the word for an Italian teardrop-shaped pearl, which now I can't think, I can't remember if it's a Baroque or Barocca, but it's a teardrop-shaped pearl. So the idea of being a pearl, a perfect pearl, would mean it would be perfectly spherical. And when you think of the Renaissance as being perfection, right, it's all about symmetry and perfection, where the teardrop-shaped pearl is imperfect. And it's exactly that imperfection that makes it so beautiful. So that's kind of the Baroque in a nutshell. And he really designed this on purpose to look like a theatrical set, like a piece of art you're participating in and not just looking at. So if we go to the left, that doorway over there, that door, doorway is the Chiostro del Bramante, uh, and we can look in there. That's a great idea, Tiffany. Let's do it. Uh, they have art exhibits in this space, uh, which are great, but I always suggest people check it out. The art exhibits could be a little bit expensive, uh, but it's a really great exposition play, exhi- exhibition place. But you can visit the cloister for free. You don't have to. You'll see a ticket booth on your left when you walk in. But you don't have to buy a ticket unless you want to go to the exhibit. You could go look at the cloister for free if you want. So just walk past the ticket desk. And, yeah, I mean, uh, stepping in here, you really feel like you're going through a shift back in time. The facade outside the church is Baroque, but this cloister is really true Renaissance in all of its symmetrical perfection. Uh, the cloister is perfectly square. It has two rows of porticos with columns. Uh, this is by Donato Bramante, who is one of the great uh, Renaissance architects to work in Rome. He wasn't from Rome. He was from Urbino, where, where Raphael was from. And I talked a little bit about uh, a different one on one of our many many episodes called uh, Tempietto, uh, but I can't remember off the top of my head which episode that was. Uh, it was one of the first ones we ever did, so you should go back and check that episode about uh, Bramante out. But this cloister was built about 1500, and it was his first work in Rome. And it's considered the apex of high Roman Renaissance architecture. 
There's also a cafe on the upper floor. It's one of the most romantic cafes in Rome uh, because you're just in the middle of this little cloister. And the seats, if you look up there, you can see little seats that go all around the edge of the upper level. And so you could just look down into the courtyard and you could look up above because it's open. There's no roof on top. Uh, and you could look up into the buildings around you and just sit on these ancient seats that are built into the side of the cloister. It's just totally romantic and cozy, and I love it. Tiffany, I, I can't believe I've never been here before. I can't believe you haven't either, Katie. Yeah, no, I never have. It's never been opened, at least that I could tell. Yeah, I would say you maybe need to look closer or something, because the cloister's almost always open, but they didn't have exhibits here. The church, back when you lived in Rome, was almost always closed, but the cloister's always open, but it's a different door. Well, I'm glad we're here today. This is great. Uh, but it's getting close to, uh, like, uh, like uh, L-U-N-C-H. Should we stop somewhere? Yeah, let's head down uh, Via della Anima, uh, which is a parallel of the street we were on, Via della Pace, and that'll bring us to Piazza Navona. Uh, but right before we go into Piazza Navona, there's uh, Piazza de, de Pasquino. Uh, so here's Pasquino, uh, kind of an unimpressive statue, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just one of those torso statues, uh, like it doesn't have anything else, uh, not much left on it. It's got, a, it has a, like a head and a body, yeah, and it's, it's uh, Pasquino was a tailor uh, who lived in the area, who was always coming up with these really f interesting, funny quips about people in power. This was the 1500s, and after he went on to the big farm... Uh, the statue was discovered, and supposedly nobody knows who it was. It was a Greek work uh, that decorated that uh, uh, stadium uh, where the Piazza Navona is. Uh, but people say it could have been Menelaus, who was a Greek figure. Uh, and it was discovered and unearthed in like a lot of works of public art back in those days, especially ones that were a little bit damaged like this one. They just put them up against a wall or a street corner and left them there, and they just stuck around. And that was the case for Pasquino. Uh, and as you can see, they put a pedestal on, and then around 1550, people started putting these little notes. They put a toga on him first, uh, or a cloth that looked like a toga, and then started pinning pithy remarks onto him uh, as if he, they called him Pasquino because there was still the memory of the tailor uh, who during had done this during his life and now was at the big farm. And they said, okay, this statue is going to take over for Pasquino. So they would stick little comments onto it. And the idea was there was no freedom, you know, it wasn't easy to express yourself. No press, no speech, no Twitter. So if they wanted to talk about the Pope or the prefect or whoever was in charge, uh, you could do this anonymously. So you could, you know, have your voice anonymously broadcast. Uh, it was like uh, the Renaissance's answer to Twitter. The idea was that you had to be very clever, though. You had to come up with something funny so that it would last and other people wouldn't take it down. And so posterity has recorded a lot of these uh 
Pasquinade. So Pasquinade is the name of the piece of commentary taped to Pasquino. Pasquino. Uh, and the most famous one is when the boat went up about Urban the Eighth, uh, uh, who had Bernini take the bronze uh, that was decorating the Pantheon. Some of the bronze to take it down. And we're talking ancient bronze that was there since the Pantheon was built uh, to build the Baldacchino, which was an enormous altar covering uh, in St. Peter's. And they said uh, about Urban uh, that this doesn't make sense unless you know Urban's family name was Barberini. And uh, so the Vasconade in Latin said uh, quad non Fercunta Barberi, Ferunta Barberini, which kind of like hinted that, uh, you know, while invaders didn't do that uh, to the temple, Barberini did. So there's dozens of these that have survived history. That's one of the most famous ones, but you can't pass by without taking a look and seeing what's on there. But they try not to let people put it on the statue anymore, but people still do. Tiffany, do you think you would ever do that? I don't think, I don't, I, I, thanks, Katie. I, don't, I feel like I'm not Roman enough, if that makes sense. Uh, usually they're written in Roman dialect, uh, sometimes Latin. They usually rhyme. They're clever. I don't know if I understand enough about Italian politics to make an accurate enough comment and uh, make it sound good enough. Uh, Okay, so where should we go from now? Well, let's head to Campo dei Fiori. We could pick something up or on our way there. It's not far. What if we unfold our magical sleepy wings and fly there? Or we could hop on our pillowy segways and uh, we could take them out. They're parked right here. And then uh, we fly... And coast over to Campo dei Fiore, one of the loudest places in Rome, in my opinion. And you could hear it on the real show because it's a piazza that doesn't sleep, like a 24-hour square. There's a market early in the morning, and the market sellers just show up to get everything set up, and the market goes till about 3 p.m. Then they start breaking it down. Uh, and then it's not about till 6 p.m. that everybody's gone and cleaned up because uh, it takes a while. They clean up everything. And then it's time for aperitivo hour, which is my favorite time to be in Campo de Fiore because I love to sit here and people watch during aperitivo. And there's some restaurants uh, here for dinner, although I think it's more fun at aperitivo time. After dinner, it gets to be more of a... Uh, like a singles place, uh, young people, young students, uh, especially uh, foreign students come to get rowdy, uh, you know, hanging out and being a young person. That's right, Tiffany. I would say a note to anyone traveling uh, is uh, don't stay directly on the Campo de Fiori uh, because it'll be loud until very late at night. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree, Katie. It's like, don't stay on the piazza. You could stay nearby, but uh, this is where everybody goes even when the bars close. So the noise will go in until about 3 a.m. at least uh, when the street sweepers come to clean up again. Now, before we uh, leave here, who's this standing here in the middle? They look a little bit frowny. Who in, Who is that? Oh, that's Giordano Bruno. 
a Dominican friar, also a scientist and astronomer and philosopher, who was way ahead of their time. He was living in the 1500s, so we're talking pre-Galileo. I mean, Galileo was alive, but hadn't yet started sharing everything. And Bruno uh, believed in the heliocentric universe, infinite number of other suns with planets, and that those planets uh, have life on them. And he kind of recognized the sun, uh, but also that it was one among many suns, and uh, they didn't really like that. So they, you know, they uh, they told him no, no, no. And it, yeah, he had to like uh, lie low. And eventually, they didn't believe they did not believe in his teaching strongly. Well, I feel like the statue carries the grandeur and the heaviness of that. Uh, yeah, eventually, at the end of the 20th century, the church said, here's a statue, because uh, we didn't agree with your teachings that turned out to be factual. So, I guess, uh, post later amends. Oh, geez, that's too bad. Well, so how should we end this tour? I mean, I feel like uh, that's the thing with Rome. We could go on and on and on. Uh, it's just like endless things to see, almost. Well, you're right. Uh, I mean, it doesn't stop. We could end here, but you know a place where we could go is Ponte Sisto. Okay, yeah, let's go one more place to lighten it up. We can't just de- deal with uh, science uh, in Giordano Bruno. Okay, well, if we go down this street, it'll lead us straight to, we're going to Piazza Farnese, another gorgeous piazza. And then we'll head down Via Giulia, which is a beautiful, grand, straight street, so long and wide and straight for the time it was built. It was built by Pope Julius II. That's why it's called Via Giulia. Uh, in 1506 is another alternative route to get to, from that part of the city, uh, Trastevere, to get to the Vatican. Because they were always trying to figure out how do we get, how do we move people during uh, the holy year? Uh, because so many pilgrims would come to the city and you'd have all these uh, crooked little streets and so there'd be a lot of congestion so t- sometimes they would just build streets for the purpose of getting people to the Vatican. Okay, can we talk about this? Uh, uh, Tiffany, can I talk to you about this uh, this fountain here on Via Giulia? It's, uh, I feel like uh, you like this statue. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I know it's like quite an interesting statue uh, that I have strong feelings about. Uh, yeah, I know, Katie, you and Derek strongly dislike it. Yeah, it's the face of a, a person, and water's spewing out his mouth. Uh, uh, but because it's warm here, the the water's like algae, so it looks like a person uh, uh, who's like spraying green water, which is nothing like what that I want to see. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, you're you're right. Uh, you're right, Katie. But it's called a mascarone fountain because it looks like a big mask. It was originally a drain cover, and a lot of times in ancient Rome they would create decorative drain covers with the face of a person, and they would have a big wide mouth where the water would go out. Uh, uh, that's what the Bocca della Verte is—a very famous large drain cover. But yeah, this is a fountain. 
and they took the drain cover, the mask, the mascarone, and turned it into a fountain. But yeah, I don't. I know you dislike it. I don't particularly love it. Uh, but yeah, it kind of looks like he's spray. Why would you want to spray green water on anybody? Yeah, he looks like someone that uh, like has his tummy t- troubles uh, with a big beard and. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, so here we are at the end of Via Giulia, and uh, the Ponte Sisto con- connects uh, Trasverde to uh, the center of the city, and it's a bridge I used to take every day, a footbridge. So you can't drive across it, and I'm sure you did as well, because when you cross, you're always cro- crossing this bridge. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if you could hear it yet in the sound effects, but your favorite accordion player is always there. I can hear her playing now. Oh, yeah, there look, there she is in her wide-brimmed hat. Uh, and this bridge is really great. It's really old. Uh, it was built by Pope Sixtus IV in uh, 1480. And it was a way to relieve, to help. It was an alternate cr- crossing of the Tiber. Before that, there was only one place to cross the Tiber up until 1480. And that was the Ponte Sant'Angelo. All the other bridges had not been operating anymore. So they built this bridge just in time for the whole year 1500. And you actually can get a great view of St. Peter's from this bridge. And there's always people here. It's like a Campo de Fiore, that it's always full of life and people around, musicians and young people meeting up. Uh, and to me, it's like my early years in Rome are really concentrated in this bridge because I crossed it so often and I just love it. You're right, Tiffany. It's a bridge that seems like beginnings and endings to me. For me, our last episode, the one we did when I was leaving Rome back in the day, an episode called Goodbye, way back in season one, it ends with us both on this bridge. That's right, Katie. Yeah, so it seems fitting we end our virtual walking tour of Rome, standing on this bridge, uh, leaving it behind for now, but not forever. Yes, yeah, so we'll be back. Uh, well, thank you so much for that really fun tour, Tiffany. It's fun to get out for a little while. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure, Katie. Thank you for all the sound design and making us feel like we're really there. Well, thanks for all your research and knowledge, Tiffany. Well, I love taking people around Rome, especially this part of the city. There's just so many treasures I enjoy. There's just so many treasures I adore. It's really my pleasure. And everybody listening should take note, if you're planning a trip to Italy, when it's all over, Tiffany does give tours in person, walking tours of Rome on various lengths and topics. Uh, Like for me, when I first went to Rome, she took me on one of the tours along with her groups of people and let me join, and it changed the way I moved about the city from there on out. Oh, thanks, Katie. I don't know. You really helped me understand uh, what was going on. If I wouldn't have, like, if I had, wouldn't have figured that out, just wandering around, uh, hoping to glean information from here and there. So it's a great opening way to get to know the city when you get back there. Thanks for that, Katie. Yeah, we'll check our show notes uh, for information on how to get into, uh, or our website for how to get in touch with Tiffany. 
Yeah, so there'll be information on our website about how to get in touch with Tiffany Bittersweet Life or Tiffany-Parks.com. And before we go, I just want to remind you, we'd love, we're love we doing a show soon about collections, uh, so definitely check it out. You could always send us a voicemail or an email at bittersweetlife@mail.com. Uh, great, Katie. Yeah, Tiffany. And until next time, Katie, I want you to remember Rome is waiting for you. You're right. It is the eternal city, so at least we know where, if not when. And until next time, this is a bittersweet life. I'm Katie Sewell, and I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Goodbye. Uh, and thanks. Yeah, everybody, I hope you dream of floating through Rome. Uh, good night.